We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Before I went out on the field, I cried because tears of joy, you know. It's been a long road, and it's a feeling that I can't explain. You know, who, who would ever thought that I'd get back here besides my family and, you know, my true friend. And, you know, God himself worked, and I felt him working. And all I was kept praying is let me stay humble, let me stay grounded, let me continue to grow as a man and continue to just put myself in a position to help our team. And that's what it's about. It's not really about me, it's about our team. I don't do my part, we don't win. So I, I just got to do my part and support my teammates. That's all it's about. Once you take anything for granted, no telling when you're going to lose it. It's going to come. You know, it's, it, life has a funny way of humbling you. So that's what it's about, staying humble. I'm going to continue to stay humble and work hard. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew here. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was our boy, Spiro Didis CBS Sports and Duke Williams from his interview with Matt Bovey at WKBW. Folks, <laughs> for the Twitter following population of our listener base, I'm I'm not sorry. I want to start I want to start the show with that. I am not sorry. Okay, for those of you who don't know, I took to Twitter after the Bills game and I took a flamethrower to our Twitter account for a hot minute. I'm surprised we didn't lose more followers, Chris. Yeah, we lost 11. I woke up. I'm like, oh, we're only 16 away from 3,000. Maybe t- No, not today. <laughs> not, not today. Not today. Uh, folks, everybody's all excited about this movie, The Joker. You know, it's, it's, it's being talked about everywhere. It's one of the better movies in the country right now in terms of box office sales. I feel like I just lived it. Let me walk this back for you. The Bills game's going on. The Bills game's going on. And Josh Allen throws his interception, and I came unglued. And I took to Twitter to voice my displeasure. And then ended up going down a rabbit hole. In fact, just, Chris, just a lot of nonsense that we're going to talk about here. Just animosity towards our quarterback. 
And then the people piling on to defend our quarterback and the arguing and everything that ensued. Now, here I am in my basement. I'm going to set this scene for you. We're in our basement. The game's been over for a while. There's a few people still hanging out at my house. I mean, we had a giant crowd of, what, 15, 16 people in my basement and three dogs just running around. It was a full house watching this game. And afterwards, there's probably a small handful left. And I've, I mean, this is after the press conference. This is where I proceeded to fall off the stand. This is after me burning down our Twitter account. And I'm sitting there and I announced to the room that I now understood. It was like I watched my own version of the movie, The Joker. And I announced to the room that I now understood where Jerry Sullivan is coming from in terms of this football team and in terms of this fan base. And apparently, not 10 beers, not tripping and falling over things, but that phrase, that statement right there, that's the thing that prompts your friends to reach out and say, okay, you don't need your phone anymore. You need to stop drinking. We're going to throw you an intervention. So that, folks, if you're ever looking, <laughs> it's like I watched a prequel. This is how Jerry Sullivan got made. Chris, what was it like from your perspective watching me just circle the drain like that during a football game? I mean, I always enjoy it when you burn our Twitter handle to the ground, but <laughs> it's going to be a lot easy. It's going to be a lot easier for me to take your phone away at, at uh, tailgates for home games because when I started packing up the truck by myself, and I genuinely mean that, pack, Potter will help you or just nowhere to be found. <laughs> and then at some point, I do come across your phone, and then I hand it to you before I Irish goodbye everybody and head on into the stadium. I think when we come back out of this bye week against the Dolphins, I'm just going to keep your phone, and you're just gonna <laughs> you're gonna be so drunk that you're just gonna assume you lost it, and then I'm just gonna take a picture of it, put it on Twitter, and be like, there will be no tweeting from us until after the game. <laughs> it's probably a good idea. Right up there with good ideas, since everybody's feeling so pro-Josh Young today, and clearly, by the state of our Twitter affairs, I am not, we have a guest in studio tonight that I can't wait to have some conversations with regarding the topic. Purveyor of Cleveland Browns hot takes. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills, and they will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. Browns are going to win the division and make the playoffs. Host of Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio, Nate Geary. Cleveland City of Light, City of Magic. Cleveland City of Light, Mr. Nate Geary. How are you doing this evening? I'm all right. I'm drinking Moosehead. You, you, are you recovering from last night? No. I mean, <laughs> Baker did get his ass kicked. No, I didn't. I didn't drink myself to a slumber watching that. I just watched it and couldn't believe all the gaslighting happening on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> the, the and, and what I mean by that is all the people saying this is this is the worst. This is the worst of Twitter. Is the if Josh Allen had done what Baker Mayfield has done. Oh, if Josh Allen had done what player B, play, you know, it doesn't matter who. It's just what it's just this never-ending, uh, <laughs> insufferable space of, you know. Well, why don't you des- describe your 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 shortcomings, and, and then I'll <laughs> and then I will uh, comment on it, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely, <laughs> folks. For those of you who are new to the show, WGR 550's host Nate Geary in studio with us tonight. Now, Nate. Since we last talked, I mean, I think the last time we had you here in studio, you had gotten the bump up to Sports Talk Saturday. Kind of, this is your gig now. And it's been going well by all accounts. 
I mean, every Saturday you seem to have a nice slew of guests. Things are going relatively well, especially during football season. There's always a lot to talk about, right? Football season's easy. Uh, Football uh, July through, you know, January-ish. Depends if the Bills are in the playoffs, then maybe mid-January into February. And then... You know, then I go into a little hole and I watch uh, YouTube videos alone. Yeah. You know, while I'm at work and while I'm at home, and I just kind of that sounds about rise in April. (laughs) Uh, I had throw a bunch of hot takes at a wall. Go ahead for my uh, head for my fear bunker. Yeah, I was spend the rest of summer hoping that one of those takes really you know sticks its uh, sticks its claws in, and. yeah, and don't you know, worry. When hope not come, to get humiliated. When you come on these microphones, I write all those takes down. Yeah, no, you you keep very very good receipts. If you were ever audited, you would have you would have all of the necessary information the government would request from you on me. So. I still maintain one of my proudest moments ever was he, listening to listening to you doing the post game show a few years ago. Was you, it, did I have a meltdown? No, you made oh. the mistake of playing that audio that was part of your drop here, where, your intro of you. Picking the not only were the Browns a better team right yeah. before they didn't win a yeah. game, but then also yeah. that they were gonna have a better record than the Bills. Yeah. And you played that on the air for your listeners. And then Humble one, pie, baby. and then one random Sunday, some guy called and was arguing a point with you. And you had him backed into a corner. You were like, Look, sir, I have the high ground. I understand logic when it comes to football, and you don't. Random f- post-game caller. Yes. And his response was, yeah, well, I'm not the one who picked the 2017 Browns. Touche. And when he said it, there was nothing but silence on the How line. How could there be anything else? For five seconds. And I was like, that guy then hung up, and that w- he just dunked on you and then left. He and had, I was like, in he had dumped. <laughs> He had dumped. I remember the the, the instance. Uh, I've grown from it. I hope that gentleman. Uh, I'm sure that gentleman has called back since um, and has had you know good well, conversation. Well, with hopefully me. you can help me grow because tonight we are here to talk a multitude. You of you do need somebody to sing some kumbaya to you. I oh, think. we need something. There's going to be a tete a tete here in a minute. What do you need? Uh, what are those uh, cobra whispers? Those snake whispers? What are those called? <laughs> snake charmers. Snake charmer. You need you need a bills charmer. <laughs> I and, need something. Uh, what I need is for us to launch into this week's week five recap. The Buffalo Bills fourteen. The Tennessee Titans seven. Okay. It starts with the stats of the game. Josh Allen, 23-32 for 71%, 219 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, four sacks, and a 98.3 rating. Marcus Mariota, 13-22, 59%. stinks. <laughs> Mariota stinks. 183 yards, five sacks, and an 86 rating. <clears throat> Have you guys ever had um, that Irish guy... Kai, uh, Chayan Fahey? No, no. I don't even, I don't even dignify by saying his name right. It's just Chien Fahey. If I can't uh, pronounce your name correctly, I don't want to talk to you. I, I know what his name is. I just don't, I don't respect him enough to say it, but to, to say it right. It's an, it's like a narcissistic trait. Like I'll, I'll spell mm-hmm. your name wrong or say your name <laughs> wrong on purpose because I know that I'm, I'm superior to you. And in this case, uh, I just, I'm not a real big Chien Fahey fan, but, um, yeah, I mean that, He's a big Mariota stand, and Mariota <laughs> fucking stinks. Yeah, that look, guy. Now that guy, you want me to get that guy deserves everything that could ever be said of him. He stinks. He's he's fragile. He's he's hesitant. He's everything that Josh Allen isn't. Wow, those are bold words. You know who isn't fragile is Derrick Henry. Twenty rushes for seventy-eight yards and a touch. 
3.9 yards per carry in the game, and his season average is 3.95. Zay Jones, who? zero of zero, zero touchdowns, one, one offensive snap. snap. Duke Williams, four of four, 29 yards, one touchdown, 78% of the offensive snaps. Defensive end, Daryl Johnson, 26% of defensive snaps, three tackles, two solo, one tackle for a loss, and one sack. The Bills' front seven, five sacks, eight quarterback hits, five tackles for a loss, and 17 solo tackles. Is that good? And the, t- <laughs> and the Titans' offense, three plays of over 20 yards and three missed field goals, four if you count the one that got blocked. I kind of want to start with this. First of all, kickers. What is happening here? Kickers, every kicker on our schedule better be put on notice. The Bills roll into town, and there's a chance you're on the sidelines. First, that poor bastard from New Jersey. Then, NFL veteran Steven Gostowski. Now, Carlos Santos. Now, unlike Vedvik, Santos, he's been in the league for a while. Since 2014, he's been around. He had a decent track record. I looked it up last week, last year in seven games with Tampa. 100% inside 30 as a mm. kicker. 100% inside 40. And three of five from more than 40. There's no way with a track record like that you could predict what a tire fire Sunday yeah. was going to turn into for him, right? It wasn't a great surface, and it's one of the reasons I think a lot of people might uh, might look at the Bills' record and say, eh, maybe they're not that good, 4-1. and one. They've gotten a lot of help. 2 of 8 from kickers is, the, you know, and they're winning all these one-position games the and, Bills and everything. The Bills currently lead the NFL in missed field goal attempts against. Yeah. That's that's a wild stat. It's a weird stat. Um, I mean, it's definitely ha- it has direct effects to their four and one record, hundred percent. I mean, unless, it is luck. It's it's uh, it's luck. But listen, uh, I mean, unless listen, you believe they, they Kenny deserve... Davis, unless you believe Kenny Davis that a Blackhawk helicopter's downdraft can alter a kick, like it, uh, like according to him, it did in the Super Bowl. In yeah, which Super case, Bowl twenty five. In which case, you have to wonder if the Bills oh. haven't made a deal with Shield to fly one of the hovercrafts. Stealths. Over the stadium. Okay. Yeah, no, that's. I don't have an. Ex- I don't have a better think, explanation for it than that. I think I might have something more tangible. Um, Kickers aren't good. Sixty years of bad luck. They're getting luck. good luck for five games. That's could be. It could be that. All right, that's fair. That's fair. So when you look at what happened in this game, I mean, you look at the scoreboard and you'd say to yourself, "Wow, this was a this was a close game." If you're only scoreboard watching, you would say to yourself, "Wow, that Why? game must have been a that, that game must have been a you know it must have been a not a barn burner but a you know a real fist fight, a real mm. scrappy game." One of the things I took away from it, for all the love that Mike Vrabel gets, I, he and his staff made some really poor decisions. On I mean, his stash, <laughs> yes, is that mustache? Not staff. Not not coaching staff. Mustache. Listen, yeah. I'm not going to blame that stash because if I had that thing, Jesus, a womb. Think about like how that, much more I you'd be getting be, laid. Th- yeah. th- thank you. Yeah. G- It'd be better for yeah. you to have a mustache for society in general that we don't we don't have to see the top layer of your teeth. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Two good points made right here. I think it's in favor of a stash. I, I look at some of the things that he did on Sunday and some of the, his staff. First of all, doubling down on the kicker. I get it. You don't expect him to miss the first one or the second one, 
Or the third one. But when that. he's already missed three, and it's fourth and four, and you're only down by a like, touchdown. It's only 53. It's only 53. It's like yeah. Bruce Arians. Well, you know, I wanted to take the penalty. I, uh, he was a little bit better from five yards back. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. It was, again, head scratcher. Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker gets on a pass to start the game for tw- a 20-plus yard gain. And then he disappears from the offensive game plan. Yeah. There's there's no reason for that if you're a good offensive coordinator. He's not a good offensive coordinator, but they got Hunter and, Smith. And clearly, they haven't watched film on this Ar- defense. Because if they had, they'd know that short passing to generate yards after the catch hasn't worked for anyone through the first four weeks of the season against this defense. Not at all. And yet, they steered right into it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm imagining the offensive coordinator when he was game planning this was like the guy driving the Titanic. And there's probably some assistant going, hey, uh, I, I don't know, man. You want to do this short passing, get the ball out quick, because you know our offensive line isn't very good. I don't know, because they seem to be tackling really well. Their secondary rallies to the ball. Their linebackers are really good in space. Maybe this isn't the game plan that's going to win it. And the offensive coordinator said, nonsense. We're going we're gonna to blow right through this. It'll be fine. That's kind of what the offensive game plan for Tennessee was. It was also a lot of just, uh, you know, we've got this big, giant behemoth running back. Uh, we're going to get him downhill, even though we have been able, unable to get him up. Ah, he's like, no, you know what? I got the master idea. I got it in the red zone. Here's what we'll do. And he says, let's put Marcus Mariota in motion. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. We'll have Derrick Henry take the snap. <laughs> And everyone will think that Marcus Mariota is doing the jet sweep mode. They're all going to think Mariota's got the ball. Just watch. And That's, then it goes for three, negative two yards. That, that, might, was, that, that, that was, might be the most that, – that might be the most astute dissection of what happened on that play. And it underscores just how bad the planning was. They also have Adam Humphreys, who, you know, clearly uh, – Went away from signing. By the way, New England, not so Chris could... Humphreys, the former uh, NBA player and nope. Kim Kardashian's first TV wife. Nope. Not that Humphreys, <laughs> Adam Humphreys, who of course spurned New England of a contract because you know where else are you going to win in the NFL but Tennessee? All the white receivers, by the way, I just want to say that Cole Beasley and Adam Humphreys, both of them shunned the Patriots this offseason. Hilarious. Well, I mean, hey, the racial tides are turning. The racial tides are turning. Here's what I see. I see a team that had six players on their offense finish with less than 30 yards receiving. Three of them with less than 20. And their downfield passing worked on exactly two plays. Okay? Think about this. Jonu Smith, if you were to take that big catch that he had, the catch and run, out of the, out of the equation, Marcus Mariota's numbers are terrible. They're still bad. He's, I think he had like 120. He would have had 126 total yards passing without that play. Ultimately, he only had 100 and what 78. I think 183, 83. So ultimately, Marcus but, Mariota wasn't a good quarterback on Sunday, and it cost them an opportunity to win the game. You know, not having yeah. spatial awareness, not knowing where he was in the field when he was throwing the game. Generally stinking. So obviously, then if the Bills won the game, their quarterback must be good, right? And that brings me. Nate, to one of the big reasons I'm so happy to have you here in studio tonight because I want to I want to have with you the great Josh Allen debate of mm, 2019. The great debate. 
Sunday, I set the goddamn world on fire. But in my defense, I'm tired of it. People online, people in the room that I'm watching the game with, people on TV, everyone is gushing over Josh Allen. 71% completion percentage, as if he just walked on, as if he just moonwalked on water. And after about eight to nine beers, I finally had enough. So obviously, I, I went on social media, said some things, and then doubled down and tripled down and just, but I still believe it. I still believe that Josh Allen isn't a whole lot better than Marcus Mariota. I don't believe Josh Allen is that much better than a lot of what's going on out there. So, Nate, I feel like the guy with the table, you know, the meme of, hey, you know, the the guy who likes to... Josh Allen stinks. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I want to have the conversation with you. What is it that makes Josh Allen a good quarterback? Why is he not the mediocre quarterback that I've been referring to him as? You want me to go now? You want me to get into the spiel? Yeah, go. We got all the time in the world. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not completely I, I'll sit here. I understand that he's not garbage. Mm-hmm. People tried to classify and kind of reshape the narrative of what I'm trying to say here. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's awful. I don't think he's you know what I mean? He's <laughs> you could make the Baker Mayfield, you know, oh, if Josh Allen had done this. I understand that there are some things that Josh Allen does well. He's shown signs that he can be clutch when you need him to put together a drive. He can do it. He's brought our team back from deficits multiple times this season. His arm strength is clear. That's obviously something he has that nobody else can replicate. And his accuracy and his decision-making seem like they're improving, despite the fact that he's the third most blitzed quarterback in the NFL. Only seven times Sunday. That was an interesting game plan decision by the Titans. I know. Not to blitz, which everyone has done to him to effect. Yeah. And you saw yeah. what the, 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 the consequence was. He completed 71% of his passes when you don't blitz him a ton. I understand these things. But the degree to which people are taking the two-knee approach to kiss his ass is infuriating to me. And I want you to explain to me why I shouldn't be upset about well, this. Well, I won't kiss his ass. <clears throat> but what I will do is I will try to make this understandable for you. It's kind of like if Chris were to buy a ring again and and propose to this beautiful girl that you really enjoy and she's great and it's team effort right you, you like her chris likes her the family likes her everybody likes her and she's showing everybody the ring and they're like oh, and and she just keeps saying wow this ring is so beautiful and even your your wife's like oh my god that's such a beautiful ring true look at this beautiful ring and you're just like shut up already <laughs> and you just like and it's a beautiful ring, but who gives a shit? That's that's what it's that's what this is like. That was a really elaborate way to get into this. Hey, but listen, it's, I'm a, I'm a like fan of you, analogies. You and I wanna, do like that. You want to? You just want to suck the suck the fun out of the room, and I, it, you're you're picking you're you're picking this particular fight because it's because it's a polarizing fight. Okay, this this is a polarizing fight to have, and I think that both sides have a very very good argument in both of their ways, and I think that a lot of them are the use of the world and the really, really big Josh Allen lovers of the world have okay. a world where they both kind of coexist. Okay, well, but see, I can't coexist with this anymore. You can't. I can't, be, but... I can't, ta- I can't take any more of it. Here's why. Okay. I'm, I'm watching a quarterback. First of all, a week after almost being – a week after he was knocked out of a football game for taking a blow to the skull, his first instinct – 
is still to take off running headfirst into a defender, and Rashawn Evans comes over and lays a lick on him early in that football game. Right then and there. Shouldn't have been standing there. Right then and there. I say to myself, this is a guy who isn't going to fucking learn. He's not going to he learn. He slid a bunch, though, the, after oh, that. And he a looks like slides. Okay. Hey, it doesn't matter what First it looks all, like. They don't, the they don't, ugliest slides I've ever hey, seen. Hey, they don't. Does but, the slide set? Does the slide stat have uh, have style points? I don't okay. Think it does. But he still he still took another shot before sliding, before even attempting it. And he got a fifteen yard penalty. So he's not committed to self preservation. Not yet. It's still not a thing, despite well, all of the evidence to the contrary. This, this, that it's a terrible this, idea. This is a this is a good and, and an important point, right? And this is something that I think people don't give enough credit to how difficult this is. Um, and, and I want to give you three phases. I want to give you pre-injury, post-injury, first five games. And okay. think of phase one, phase two, phase three in that mm-hmm. order, right? Phase one is we never expected Josh Allen to play. I don't think Josh Allen had any expectation to play. I thought we all, I think we all thought Nathan Peterman, what he showed in preseason, we were all like, are you okay. going back to last season? Yes, okay, but, okay. Yeah. I'm and, just trying to get my head so, around. So this. think about this, right? And, and so think about this. So Josh Allen's thinking, okay, Nathan Peterman, he may not be great. Five interceptions last year in that one game, that first half, that was tough, right? Tough, tough, tough. But he looks fine. Like the Bills won't be good, but I won't get asked to be in until like four or five, week four or five, and I could sit and I could watch. And three series into the game, he's thinking to himself, okay, well, I'm going to be the starter next week. And, you know, he goes in at halftime, and then it's Josh Allen's team until he gets hurt again, right? So phase one was really pretty shitty. Uh, the rest of that, that Ravens game was not good. The Chargers game was not good. Green Bay was not good. And then he sprinkled in that Minnesota game, which kind of inspired the hope. And then it was that Houston game that he gets hurt in, right? And he, fi- like, literally the play that he gets hurt, he makes the throw that we're like, ah, oh, nice, like, finally. And, and it even looked like it clicked for him. Gets hurt, has to sit six weeks or whatever, right? Okay. Then phase two, Josh Allen, is a player that is starting to take, make the wow plays and make what I consider to be non-sustainable type plays. So we went from kind of, Josh Allen isn't very good. Josh Allen's Josh Allen. He's the Wyoming quarterback we saw struggle and not be able to complete a pass against Oregon. That's mm-hmm. what we see the first three or four weeks, right? Then phase two, we see this player that is running for 100 yards a game, hurdling. I know that happened in the first quarter of the season, but like just these highlight real, um, like I said, hundred yard rushing games, three touchdowns on the ground, all this stuff, this stuff. And they were winning football games and staying in football games. And then you have the, the play against Jacksonville. You have the play against Detroit, right? Where he's making these wild plays. But what you say about phase two is they were wild plays, but they were probably done in that. What he was doing wasn't going to be a sustainable model to be able to win in the NFL uh, consistently, and he also just didn't have the weapons. So that's where Phase 3 comes in, where they finally have not only added weapons, but they've added some protection for Josh Allen, and the defense is better, and they've got 10 new starters on the offensive side of the ball. So okay. Phase 3, right? Okay. Let me tell you about I'm Phase 3. I'm still following you. Phase 3 is actually much different from Phase 1 and Phase 2. Phase Year 1 in both those phases were, were very different from each other. This one is also completely different because Phase 3, Josh Allen and Brian Dable, what they're now doing is saying, I get what you did last year, and Hero Ball worked because you needed to play it because you didn't have the weapons to distribute it to. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they, they were helping you now. Like We've given you weapons so that you don't have to play Hero Ball. 
So now what Josh Allen has been doing from phase two and phase one, and then also back at Wyoming for two years, and then back in junior college for the year that he played junior college, and then back to high school where he's always played this type of football. And now he's getting into year two where now he is turning into a quarterback that is playing within the scheme of an offense where he has to throw nuanced routes, where he has to throw with anticipation. Mm -hmm. And now basically from last year to this year, you're asking a quarterback who's been playing one way his whole life to change all of his principles and how he approaches what he thinks he needs to do to win football games and flip it on and say, we need you to sort of be a game manager because so far through five games – I would say the numbers suggest and the, the the depths of targets and the depths of attempts would suggest that he's playing a bit more of a conservative game this year and he's trying to not play hero ball. And then okay. twice a game, and this I don't even want to say this happened in, in New England because I think that two of them were just bad throws and bad decisions. But he gets to this point where he's staying within the in the course of his offense, and that's what sixteen of twenty for one hundred forty six yards and a touchdown in the first half last week. It was his best half of football, even though they didn't score more than seven points. And the reason being, and and, and here's here's the thing that pisses me off about the Bills' offense. Before I finish my Josh Allen point, is they really struggle between the forties. They're a team that can either go eighty yards and score a touchdown. Or they're puking on themselves after a turnover or after a good kick return, and they're set up in good field position. It's it's either 80-yard touchdown or a bust with this offense. And the yards speak to a, a, an, an interesting – it speaks to an interesting trend with this offense. Is They're 12th in yards through five games, but 28th in scoring. And most people would argue our yards don't matter. Yards are just a pointless stat. It doesn't matter if you put up 500 yards and you lose, you still lose. And, yes, I get that. But they're putting up – the offense is moving the ball consistently, but I wouldn't say they're moving it efficiently. No! Like, like they are – they're effective, but and they're not efficient. Is, and this is where I come in hey, with but, a – this is but, where I come in with a torch and I try to burn your castle down. When I hear people talking about Josh Allen, he's great. Look at this. Look, look at the show he put on today. 219 yards. Why are we celebrating this? The Buffalo Bills have gone 38 straight games. Mm-hmm. 16 of them belonging to Josh Allen without a third, without a 300-yard passing Do you game. want to know what, Hang though? on. 48 times. That's how many times quarterbacks in the NFL in the last five weeks have managed to throw for 300 yards. One of the things that sticks in my craw is watching quarterbacks, who I would call in Josh Allen's class, not in his... Literal draft class, but when I talk about a few years ahead, a few, you know, maybe a year behind, and I watch how these guys are, and I'd even expect, I, before we came on air, I told you when you walked through the door, I was all fired up because Chris and I were having this conversation. If you were to redraft the NFL right now, and you were to say, we're going to take the, let's take the blue chip quarterbacks out of the equation, okay? So guys who you know to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, your Tom Brady, your Aaron Rodgers, your Drew Brees, we're going to nix all these guys. I'd even put Phillip Rivers in this conversation, the veterans, the guys who've been there and who've seen it. They managed to put manufacture yardage week after week after week like machines. There are still young quarterbacks who are doing it. Who, yes, maybe they, I hear the excuse all the time about weapons and weapons and weapons. Okay, at some point, I look at Patrick Mahomes making guys coming in off the street that nobody... Pringle! Who the fuck is Pringle? They scored 13 points. My, they lost. But my point is... I get they, I, but 
See, and, and he can throw guys open and he, he can, can make throws that generate yards after the catch. Uh-huh. Here's one of the thing that's, things that's infuriating to me. When you look at these lack of 300-yard games, it's indicative of, of a bigger problem with this quarterback. His, first of all, his air yards per attempt is below four per pass this season, which has us right around the middle of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Throwing with anticipation, that was the thing that Tyrod Taylor got crucified for. Because he couldn't throw anyone I got open. like three film examples I'll send you right okay. now. of abs- Actually, Zay Jones, two weeks ago, his only good catch was on maybe Allen's best throw of the season. And it was and just like a, like a, like if you were to put together a film that said anticipation throws, this would be the first throw that you show. And it was, okay. that was against the Bengals. I'm not saying he's not throwing with anticipation. The problem is you're not leading receivers to yards after the catch. This team is still 21st in the NFL in yards. They're not after- really running routes, hey. though. That, But here's the thing. In this case, so here's but, the routes that give you yards after catch, right? So they're not running. They're not even running. Even better accuracy, but the listen, guy is still 21st they're not in running yards after the catch. any screen passes at all. Name me. They, they ran one vertical screen to Isaiah McKenzie on the third down, and they didn't get it, and they punted away. That was one short throw at the line of scrimmage. Yards after catch are, I bet you Phillip Rivers is up there, and how many times has he dumped it down to Austin Eckler, and Austin Eckler makes a 60-yard play out of a one-yard pass? That is great, but that inflates that stat. That stat means nothing to me because the Bills don't have any resemblance at all of a screen game. Part of that is because Devin Singletary isn't in. They don't have a screen game because, A, I don't know how much it's principled in Brian Dables. I'd like to see it utilized more. But those are plays that they're not getting. You're talking about yards oh. after after completion here. This is what there are made. so many opportunities. And listen, they what Josh Allen was good at last year was a lot of those deep crossing routes where a guy catches it and then can turn up field. A lot of what their game is right now is principled in the short, and it's it's principled in a lot of like comeback where where the receivers' backs are to the defenders. So they're not getting a ton of deep opportunities right now. But and I mentioned this on Lockdown Bills today with Joe Marino. One of the big things that I think that this offense missing is the big play. And everyone says, well, why isn't this offense like Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay, where everything is deep and you're running a lot of vertical concepts? Like, that's what everyone was really excited about, Dable and Josh Allen. And part of what they're doing is they're scheming the deep play into their offensive game plan. And then Josh Allen is is trying to push it before it naturally comes. And for me... That's a, that's a problem of immaturity. It's a problem of a young quarterback. And it's the same problem that, that Lamar Jackson has and has had the last two, three weeks. It's the same problem that Baker Mayfield has had to start this season. It's the same problem that Josh Rosen has. It's the same problem that you, you – I'm trying to think. Who's the other one? Oh, Sam Darnold. He's a, so all of these quarterbacks have experienced this in a certain way, is you have an offensive coordinator that's challenging you to change the principles in which how you beat defenses. Not only that – but you are also playing, and you're being asked to play in a system for the you're, first time as you're a quarterback. Also, talking about a quarterback who is leading the offense that is 25th in scoring in the yes. NFL. Yes. To your when when you said trouble moving between the 20s, I mean the 40s. You're absolutely correct. The Buffalo Bills right now are the third ranked t- third ranked team in the NFL in red zone scoring percentage. We get into the 20s, we score. Yeah. We put up points. Why can't we get there? Oh, I know. Maybe because when we're backed up to our own 10, for some reason, unless the game's on the line, our quarterback struggles to get us there. 
But I don't want to blame the quarterback. No, I'm not no, blaming all the quarterbacks. No, quarterback. no, but I, I'm not going to blame the young no, quarterback. Listen, though. Listen, you talk about yesterday. You look at that Browns game yesterday, and one the thing that I'll take away from that game is they were like <laughs> one for they were like one for nine on third down, and their average third yard third down depth was like nine and a half yards. Josh Allen this week was putting the Bills in situations where they were third and four and third and five. And those are situations that you keep putting yourself in those situations. They're going to – here's the thing. Like, and, and maybe you don't sit here yet, and, and I think that there's a there's – a, like I said before, I think there's a way for a lot of people that are maybe have differing opinions on this to actually be right but also kind of be wrong at the same time. And one of those is – most of us are just banking, and, and this is me. I'm banking on the fact that Josh Allen from last year from Phase 1 and Phase 2 is now into Phase 3 of his development. And if Phase 3 takes the first seven games and we see Phase 4 this year where Josh Allen can take an actual step and he stops turning the ball over, and let's say he finishes at 3,900 yards. Listen, 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 and, and listen to me. So after 16 games and 17 weeks, Josh Allen ends up somewhere along the lines of uh, thirty-nine to four thousand yards and nineteen touchdowns. And what do you mean two hundred fifty yards? Two hundred fifty yards a game is what thirty-seven hundred? I he wish was I averaging still, 249. I'm, I'm so happy I didn't still have beer in my mouth. When you okay, and that. by the way, the point I wanted to make was: Do you not feel like at any point that this team could throw for three hundred yards? Like, do, do you feel like they can't throw for three hundred? We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. Folks, we have... We, what a we, terrible... That was... Oh. <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> That's how I roll because I run this show. Ultimately, I understand some of the points that you've made. I'm willing to concede that maybe some of this is just game day frustrations from a guy who thinks that his team should be able to easily dispatch some, some pretender of a franchise. Some pretender that's out here trying to wheel Marcus Mariota around like he matters as a quarterback. Like, oh my God, they, they're essentially trying to win games the way the Bills are currently winning them. Playing defense and running the football and dinking and dunking with a quarterback, but their quarterback sucks ass, and that's why it's not working. So you, sh- you would think that our team could roll into town and put them in a body bag. And instead, much like the Bengals game, it's a fight to pretty much the end. But you're not giving any credit to I, Tennessee's defense, by the way. Hang on. Who is 10th ranked. I understand these things. I understand the defensive arguments. It's not just a vacuum. You're, you're, you're living... you put up 204 yards and two touchdowns You're living in a vacuum. I am not living in a vacuum. Well, you are. Okay. You are. Okay, so when I went off on Sunday, yes, that is living in a vacuum. Today, here on the show with you, I still feel like I want more. And I'm sorry if wanting more from a quarterback is such a terrible thing. Chris sits here and tries to defend Josh Allen through the lens of, well, he's the best quarterback we've had in the last 10 years. Who gives a fuck? The last 10 years, we've been in the desert. The Jews wandered the desert for less time than we've been wandering the desert looking for a quarterback. It doesn't mean anything to me, Chris. What I want is better. I want a quarterback that I know when I go into a football game with, I'm confident that he's going to put up a couple scores in that game. It's like me with women. You know, <laughs> that is not. Yeah, what yeah. Doing. You'll like you. You will never be satisfied with whoever our quarterback is. It's a curse. It's not not being satisfied with whoever. It's that everyone. And you know what I think it is. I'll I'll admit this. I think a lot of this is synthesized from a frustration about how positive everybody else is being. 
I understand that right now I'm being the I'm bringing out all of the negative things that nobody wants to talk about. I would understand it if they were one and four. Is that? And I can't wait to talk to you about this as we I wind back the show towards the end. Oh end's man, gonna be, do, end's going to be have, just this big blow up. I hope you. I hope you've got this all saved. Oh, it's going to be. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a climax. At the but end. with this said, to his point, it's not like we lost the football game. There's still plenty of positive things to talk about here. And so as we finish our wrap-up of the game, first of all, let's start with Duke Williams' debut. Let's do it. Holy fuck. Can I say I told you so? Can I say everybody I told you so? Because I kept saying it. I said it in June. (laughs) I said it in July, August, September. I think I said it back in February or whenever we signed him. I had no idea why Zay Jones was still on the roster after. And I was surprised he made it through the practice squad. I said that to... Talking to somebody about it, uh, and they asked me, they're like, you know, were you surprised that Duke Williams looked so good? I said, no. You must have sat in the room with Chris, otherwise he'd have it on the whiteboard already. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, well, we had that secret bet of who's getting the sixth spot between Isaiah, Ray Ray, and Duke. I took Duke, you took Ray Ray, Isaiah made it. We both had to drink Seagram's. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Duke Williams making the roster, not just being brought up, but the fact that they said flat out, we are going to focus on him. Now, we're going to make him a focal point of the offense. He's going to get significant run. What I I had a conspiracy theory about this coming into the game. This was a pre, kind of a precursor to a wide receiver trade. The reason, the logic being, if you're a GM and you know you have to give up a significant asset to bring in, an, you're foreign, you're on your way to potentially being four and one. You're still contending in your conference. You want to give your quarterback, if you see a weakness of your roster and you have an opportunity to address it, to strike, then you do that. So whether it be a Stephon Diggs, an Emmanuel Sanders, a, you know, well, whatever the trade might have been, before you do something like that, you would be a bad GM if you didn't at least explore all options on your roster already. You would be a terrible GM if you did that. So when they announced that he was not only going to play, but that Duke Williams was going to get significant run, my first thought was, they're, they're, if he um, doesn't show up, we're going to be hearing about them talking to the Vikings, them talking to the Broncos. There's going to be conversations. You're saying that, posturing. They were posturing. I think this what I think that's what this was. Okay. Ultimately, I think it's it went a, well. I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy. I, I would say it's a theory. I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy. No, but I didn't. He didn't blow me away, but what he did was impressive. Yeah. Especially for a guy who wants it. And I think he brought that, something different. He brought a different element yes. that our passing attack has been lacking yes. for a while, which is hey. I, Which is not Zay Jones. The, the pass... I think and his the, weird, creepy dad. The thing <laughs> the thing I liked was I, I, the touchdown pass to the inside. He caught it. It hit him in the hands and he caught it. That's right. He Great. didn't bobble it. He didn't double catch it. And that was a... It was a shot. That was a, that, that, that was a hard throw. It's not like he lost... He wasn't throwing the Lee Smith, hey, I'm going to throw this 40 yards in the air and beach ball it to you just so I know you catch it. Yeah, he might have still <laughs> dropped it. I had, you know... RIP if some of my uh, old former high school teammates listen to this, but I had a game in high school uh, against Lancaster in Lancaster where um, it was actually used as a coaching moment for other teams. Like I did like an all-star game and they were like, let's, let's remember the day where Nate had five touchdowns that were dropped, wide open touchdowns, <laughs> that like similar two times. And they were like, he had five touchdown drops in this game and look how he responded. What a leader. He responded so responsibly. That's kind of that's kind of like the opposite of what Drew like. Drew, I like this humble brain. Drew the by him, second right? one, the second drop. Drew would have burned that kid's house down and 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 probably sent his parents, 
you know, W twos to the IRS. Like that's <laughs> like that's that's what Drew did. He would have been done some spiteful shit like that. Instead, oh. no. Here's Geary watching five of his friends drop fucking Patsy touchdowns, and Drew Drew sees one throw go in the dirt, and he's ready to file an IRS complaint with Josh Allen's parents yeah. about about improprieties of their of their family ranch. That's exactly how you were on on Sunday. They threw an incomplete pass. He's like that. What's the worst thing I could do to Josh Allen and his family? I'm, su- I'm surprised that Josh Allen didn't retire. I want to be the one the that game. breaks up him and his girlfriend. I, I'm burning it all. I'm leaking. I'm leaking Photoshop pictures. You guys, you guys aren't that far off. No, in fact, we are hitting the nail in the proverbial head. Yes. All right, so maybe I'm a little bit of an overreactionary. Maybe just just a tad. But but with that said, Duke Williams, good, not excellent, not world beating. But a different dimension to this, to your point, what is supposed to be a short passing game, you saw him get off the... I think my favorite completion to him was just the short one. Right off the line, he catches it, kind of almost tangled up with the defensive back. And he still manages to bring the ball in and get four yards. That right there is a play that you look at and you say, Zay Jones wouldn't have made that play. That's why you... Last week, I was pounding the table saying the eight targets Zay Jones got were too many. You're wasting opportunities to let somebody else try to make a play. Yeah, and Duke Duke did that on Sunday, and I tweeted it out when once the news broke from uh, I think Chris Mortensen was the first tweet I saw, and I put Duke Williams made this trade possible with his game on Sunday. He caught Absolutely. Ev- he caught everything that came his way. So cheers cheers to Duke Williams. <laughs> this is hilarious. Oh, that's hilarious. Nate, tell the people what you just showed me. We'll have Chris read it. Uh, at Giants have taken calls for Eli Manning from Bears, Vikings, Steelers, Bills, and Jaguars. <laughs> Eli has a no-trade clause. Oh, the world is coming to an end, folks. I, I Listen, I'm critical of Josh Allen, but you put that shit away. You keep... <laughs> listen, listen, Eli Manning gave... You put gave, that shit away Eli, right now. Eli Manning says. gave me two of the greatest Super Bowls ever recorded. I sometimes watch him when I'm down... I just watched the my favorite ones the Giants just manhandling Tom Brady for four quarters in front of the referees and no flags. That, that that's what I go to because I'm a petty human being. I go to that when I'm really depressed over a Bills loss. That's the thing that picks me back up and gets me moving. And to that point, the other bright spot of the day has got to continue to be our defense. Dominant. Dominant doesn't even do it credit. In essence, the Titans didn't I mean, we just talked about how badly their you know their quarterback was, their coach was, but they still didn't set them up for success as much as the they zigged. They tried to, hey, we're gonna outthink uh, the Bills. You know what happened? They tried to go strength on strength with themselves. Buffalo. And they thought it was a good idea to pit their offensive line, their quarterback, and their running back against our front seven, and the results were ugly. I mean, you heard the stats earlier with our secondary doing an excellent job mixing coverages. Now, I'm not a secondary guru. I don't understand a lot you of things. You never claim to be. Never claim to be. But here's what I see. They shift the safeties around a ton pre-snap, which I don't care who you are as a quarterback. Last week, it gave Tom, uh, last week it gave Tom Brady a hard time in terms of where he could and couldn't go with the football. Marcus Mariota? Oh, he didn't have a fucking prayer. That guy, he was fucked from the get-go. And because of that, our front seven was a wrecking crew against their offense. When you look over the rushing chart, 
the bulk of Derrick Henry. I mean, they thought, I think, I think in their minds, Derrick Henry, we're going to give him 20 carries. Key to the game. He's going to be 150 yards, and that's going to key our offense and keep the defense off balance. The bulk of his runs were for gains of less than five yards, mm-hmm. especially when they tried to run between the tackles, which is his specialty. Okay? Our defensive tackles, even our defensive ends, got in when you rewatch the game, just clogging up lanes and occupy, just moving blockers out of the way. So guys like Lorenzo Alexander and Tremaine Edmonds can come in and mostly make Mostly Tremaine Edmonds. Well, here's the, here's the thing. You'd say mostly Tremaine Edmonds. The Titans made the mistake of going with heavy personnel on most of their plays. So when you go back to looking at how bad their offensive line is, okay, that makes sense. But all that did was let the Bills give more snaps to this ageless wonder that is Lorenzo Alexander. Insane. He played for the first time all season just shy of 70% of the team's snaps. Finished five solo tackles. He was instrumental in the fact that we caved in the running game behind Taylor Lewan. That left side of the... They couldn't generate any push. They had three tackles for a loss. I think they had, well, what, six runs of five yards or less to that side of the line? Dominated. Why? Because you let Lorenzo Alexander run around over there. Well, you know I, you know what is maybe the most impressive about the defense that nobody, and, and this should be factored into DVOA rating, because the Bills are the fourth-ranked defense according to Football Outsiders DVOA metric, which uh, measures efficiency. And I don't think it's taking into account that uh, it's literally dragging along the 32nd-ranked special teams uh, unit in football. 32nd. That's right. I, I said it last in football. The Bills are last in football in the special teams DVO metric. Well, it's and not 27th really in offense. So literally, the defense is winning games while dragging two old, wrinkly, droopy balls around <laughs> in the offense and special teams. And, and that was my point in the piece that I... That I um, that I wrote today and, and, and put on WGR was that, you know, I think the offense has, has shown things to me that they can be better and more efficient and they can score more points. They're, they've given me signs of that. But, man, if they don't figure out the special teams, that could be what, what unravels this team. I don't, I don't well, think – I think the offense still has areas to grow and be better and be more efficient and, and get to 25 a game and, or get to 23 a game, for Christ's sake, one of those two. But the special teams unit scares the hell out of me. Well, that was a, that's a good point because last year we were really bad in special teams. Yeah, Danny Crossman. Yeah. And it, it hasn't improved as much as we would have thought, although Andre Roberts is just now getting on the field. So I'm interested to see how that kind of changes the metrics the more he gets to play. Now, sticking with the defense, you look at the pass protection aspect of what our defense did to the Titans, it didn't get a whole lot better for them there either. One of my favorite things to watch, even though, again, I'm a front seven guy. I like the line. I like the linebackers. I, I focus on this, and I understand it. But watching Micah Hyde is a lot of fun. Watching Micah Hyde play the game of football, how did the Packers ever let him go? I feel like the Packers have spent multiple first, second, and third round draft picks on safeties in the time that they not only had Micah Hyde on their roster, but since they let him go. When I'm watching him play in Sean McDermott's scheme, and maybe some of it's just his acumen for coaching, but he's impactful. And if you're watch, if all you're doing is box score scouting, you're never going to see it. He has a feel for the quarterback as the game goes on. And he does this thing where with him and Saran Neal getting as much run as he's gotten and uh, Jordan Poyer. The two Dean Marlowe. Dean Marlowe. The, those guys patrol the box. Hmm. And... <laughs> nice. Cheers. 
Chris. Phrasing. I just assumed Chris was going to get it. He looked at me with a blank stare, and then Phrasing. he laughed first. I was con- okay. Good for, the, good for you, Drew. He patrols the box, but he's always just kind of hovering over the top of it with enough to You are that, speaking from a ton of experience here. When he's on play side, <laughs> when, he, when he's on play side, you can see the quarterback hesitate to release the ball because he's probably thinking, hey, I'm going to try to take this deep, but I don't know. I don't know if that safety is going to drop down. I don't know if he's going to come back and cover. And they know after watching tape how athletic he is. It's just, and you saw that happen to the Titans. You know, there was probably a lot of times where he would have liked to have given Corey Davis, who's a giant wide receiver. He's six foot three, 224 pounds, 225 pounds. They would have loved to have given him a shot, but Micah Hyde was kind of hovering on his side of the field a lot, which deterred Mariota from taking shots downfield that way. And because of it, he held onto the ball and let our front seven do their work. Now, you heard the metrics, but we had an we had a pterodactyl sighting, folks. <laughs> Trent Murphy, God bless the guy. He was having a solid game on the edge until he left the game with a concussion. And when he went out, Daryl Johnson came in. And there wasn't a noticeable drop-off in production. That kid, so far, Nate, can you agree with me, has been a steal for a seventh-rounder. Kid's got a crank. <laughs> Kid's got a crank. He finished not just with solid production. He lands his second sack of the season and was the player to block that field goal, which makes sense considering his reach is as tall as most NBA basketball players. Fingertip to fingertip. Chris. Eight feet. Can you ask for a better game from a seventh-round draft pick? No. And then that interior of the defensive line. Now, Nate. Tell me about it. As a guy who used to play quarterback, is it frustrating to know when the guys up front just can't stop people from coming into the backfield? Like, no matter what you do, no matter what play you call, it doesn't matter. There's somebody penetrating the backfield at all times. How frustrating is that as a signal caller? I don't know. You're <clears throat> those. It's not like those wounds are fresh or anything, but I would say you're talking to a pretty calloused person. I don't <laughs> think I've, you know, again, no offense to any of my former teammates. Um, I can't really ever say that I had a very good offensive line at any point in my life. I there's a reason you would have done a lot better if you had Taylor Luan. Didn't there's you get a reason I concussed? drew at night? Yeah. D- didn't you get wildly concussed? I, yeah, I've had a few. I've had a. I don't know. The the number is ambiguous. It's anywhere between, you know, like six and like twelve. But it really depends on what you're calling a concussion. You're talking about straight knocked out cold has to be, <laughs> then I've only been knocked out cold twice. But if you're saying like, you know, can't hear and couldn't see a coach on the sideline, then I'd say, you know like eight times. I've had a few of those. Yeah. But but mine are you well, mine, stingers, mine, I call mine them. usually involve I boots. call them, I used to call them brain stingers. But mine just involve booze and bad decisions. The thing I liked about watching this game was last year's defensive line was pedestrian at best, but just a little bit of inf- just a small infusion of talent. You, know, you, you bring in Ed Oliver. I'm not calling his contribution small, but what I'm saying is you added one player, and all you did was give Shaq Lawson and Trent Murphy one more year in this system to get healthy, to get fresh. They're playing some ridiculous football right now, and you saw it. Every single lineman was noticeable. Shaq Lawson. Creating the, the Trent Murphy had a hell of a game. Trent run Murphy, defending, yeah. run defending, stunting into the middle to stop Derrick Henry or at least disrupt blockers in the middle of the line so that Edmonds could come over the back and make plays. Shaq Lawson creating pressure off the edge, forcing Taylor Lewan into space and giving Jordan Phillips, 
free reign to just ruin the game for Mariota. It was an impressive performance by that unit, and they get the game ball for me. And Chris, that's why this week's hero is defensive tackle Jordan Phillips. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. That guy flew around the field making Mariota's life hell. And then he body bagged. Body bagged Taylor Lewan on social media after the fact. It wasn't just enough that he, that, he, that he just dropped that performance on him, but then he came back for seconds and put, put Taylor Lewan right next to Mariota in the dirt. Now, I had for, for my zero of the game, I had Josh Allen. Nate, who do you... I understand, but after talking to you, I think I've walked that back a little bit. If you okay. had to pick somebody who you thought struggled on the Bills roster, I'm going to let you pick it this week. Who do I've you got think? two people. The first one are uh, is is sort of a flyer, and uh, it's sort of a it's sort of a um, it's a group of people rather than one individual uh, offender. Okay, uh, and it's people on Twitter that are Bills <laughs> fans that tweet about Patrick DeMarco and their disdain for the fullback in modern day NFL offenses. Okay, that's the first one. That's fair because I just watched Kyle Huszczyk or Huszczyk or. Whatever He's out the four to six. It's, I don't even care about him. It's no, no, just, but I just watched a fullback. Patrick, people complain. A people team. complain that Patrick DeMarco plays too much, and he played 14 snaps, and he's good in the red zone, and he makes defenses think that they're going to run the football, and then that gives them really good opportunities to pass. I.e., the touchdown to Lee Smith is they had a fullback and a running and a tight end that nobody figured was going to go out for a route, and uh, opened everything up for that touchdown. So again, I just want to point out. That stop getting upset that running that a fullback plays 14 times in a game and saying that he plays playing too much like he's playing 60 percent of the plays or something. Grow up, you. You know who I'm talking to, and 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 and, and that person is listening to this podcast. Like, dude, what the fuck's this guy's problem? Like, Petromoko is playing too much. You're the problem. You're the problem. You're the problem. Um, and then secondly, if I would say that I thought somebody that really struggled. Jay Jones. Normally, I would say Corey Bohorquez, but Corey Bohorquez actually had a pretty good game. Average 50 yards a punt. That's a good game for Corey Bohorquez. Um, we can just leave it at that. TJ Yeldon? TJ Yeldon? <laughs> I didn't think played a particularly good game. Um, oh, okay, but guess what? TJ Yeldon is the least of my concerns. And you know what? You've actually made me feel a lot better about this because Josh Allen was the only guy I had a problem with. And you've talked me off that ledge, sir. I want to shake your hand. You know, I don't a think you really bit, mean it. But a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. At least to the point where I'm not willing to call him the biggest loser of the evening. But if we want to talk about big losers, we can jump right into this week's AFC's Roundup. Week Cairo 5 Santos. edition. Oh, my God. Yeah, we could call Cairo Santos. Jesus Christ. That dude lost his livelihood. He's named after some very powerful manhood, people. Some of yeah. his manhood. He's out there looking for a blue chew right now. He's trying to figure his life it's out. Is a blue chew uh, those chewable Viagra pills? I have, yeah. no, I have no idea. I don't, I don't The only reason I know that, that is because um, I was on Lockdown. The only uh, reason I know that. And that, that was actually one of the live reads was the blue chew. And I can't wait till I now do I'm that wondering, live read on this show. Now I'm wondering <laughs> what are those? Are they, do they work? They, I don't know. I'll ask let Cairo you know. San, ask Cairo Santos tomorrow after he what goes and they, gets his... What, is they, what do those do? I... Week 5, the AFC East Roundup. We're going to start this off with the New York Jets. Eagles 31, Jets 6. Manish Mehta, famed New York Jets beat reporter. We'll famed? Is that what we're calling him? What are yes. we calling me if he's famed? <laughs> 
He was joking last week on Twitter, showing the Jets' offense, going through their warm-ups and drills, and calling it a live look at the team practicing against the Eagles' secondary. Which seems hilarious to me that someone who's covering a team like the Jets throwing shade at the Eagles when you're winless, quarterbackless, and answerless. 17. That's the number of offensive points the Jets have scored through four games. Not through four quarters. Not per game. Four games. And well, they're without a quarterback. They don't have a quarterback. But there's a part you of me. You do have a quarterback. He just has syphilis. Well, uh, mono, whatever it is. I wonder it's if Josh. Transmitted. I almost wonder if Sam Darnold wouldn't be better off just sitting this one out. Just the rest of the year at this point, the way things are trending. Luke Falk. Just a quick five game hole. It's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Falk, starting for his second straight game, finished with 120 yards passing, two interceptions, and a 37.3 quarterback rating. Which is actually better than Baker Mayfield's. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> when you throw in the nine sacks he absorbed, it's no wonder they put David Fales in in the fourth quarter. Falk probably just said, fuck this. I'm not going back out there. No. He no. took his helmet off and said, no, fuck No, you in guys. fact, there was a, uh, a quote, you know, that, that, that Luke Falk wanted. I think Luke Falk was quoted as saying, most men would have been broken. Uh, I am, I'm trying to prove that, uh, <laughs> this doesn't break me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit. Wow. And I believe he the was talking about to... life. I think yeah, he was well, talking about life. Saying. I don't think he was talking about the game. He was like, you know, I think, I think that might have been a cry for help to a psychiatrist about suicide prevention. What I love about this is that the Jets, are in total disarray on the side of the ball that was supposed to be their head coach's specialty, which is strange. Guys, I feel like we've watched their head coach struggle in this department before. No? Yes. I mean, have we? Is this just a dream? I mean, their offensive line has been atrocious, which, again, stop me if you've heard this before. Their biggest investments of the offseason, Kaletsi Assembly and Ryan Khalil, they're so bad that Le'Veon Bell was held to 43 yards. And yeah, I know. He's on my fantasy team. And 13 came on a single run. So he averaged two yards per carry in the game. And then there's the staff. I mean, th- think about this. Staff infection, he means. Let's just talk about this. <laughs> Everything is in disarray, and Gase is looking like a dude who couldn't find his ass with both hands. As a team, they're averaging 2.3 yards per play. They shuffled the offensive line thinking that was going to help. They benched Brandon Shell, their right tackle, for a rookie who then just got beaten like a drum for the entire game in protection. Cornerback Tremaine Johnson, who they gave a fat contract to just last year in free agency. He was benched, and when they put him back into the game for this week, multiple deep completions and I think three or four penalties. <laughs> but hey, guys, let's not panic. At least the New York media is really sensitive to the situation that Gase is in right now. I'm all for going for it on fourth down. Okay, again, message to, to Gase. Quarterback sneak. How about that? No, no, no. We got to throw the ball in the flat to Le'Veon, who's got two guys on him, and he couldn't even get the ball. I mean, where, what was that throw? What was that? He started feeling the heat. That's what happened. And then, I think it was Brandon Graham. He and, started feeling the heat. And maybe even a worse decision than that, if it's possible. Fourth and four on the 37. What is 14 nothing at this point? Yes. Fourth and four on the 37-yard line, okay? First, he doesn't know what he's doing, Gage. Well, that's the biggest out. problem. It starts with that. Well, yes. Okay, they got the offense on the field. They're going to go for it. No, no, no. They're going to try a field. What? 55-yard field goal? What? I mean, who's the kicker? Ficken? <laughs> what did he think? Jan Stenerud suddenly appeared? 
I mean, seriously, Anderson showed up? I mean, what? What? No, no, you got to hire gays. And it's this terrible owner getting sold a bill of goods from this guy who's a terrible head coach. We knew that already. We wanted no part of him. But what the hell do we know? We don't no, know anything. And Joe, we we're still, just dumb uh, talk show hosts. And even stupider than that, we're Jet fans. <laughs> and apparently, what the hell do we know? We still don't know because every excuse is being oh, written for him. Oh God! And that's all I oh. hear: excuse, excuse, oh. excuse. That is. <laughs> Evan Roberts and Joe Benino from WFAN in New York. I could listen to Joe Benino be angry all day long. It doesn't have to be about the Jets. It could be about anything. Could... Oh, guys. He's so mad. But, guys, don't worry. Guys, they really care about Adam Gase's feelings and Sam Darnold's back for whatever that's worth. They're going to take on the Cowboys who are looking to beat up on somebody after falling 3-2. and two. There's already calls for their head coach. Head coach, head coach job. is getting fired. Their quarterbacks out licking public restroom toilet seats. Like, getting <laughs> I'm mono. sure that everything in New York is going to end well this weekend, and I can't wait to hear what Joe and Evan think about it on Monday. <laughs> then you got Miami. Now Miami, Miami, yeah, Miami's on the bye week. Make no mistake, folks. The Dolphins are in a heated battle with it's, the Bengals and the Arizona Cardinals. Fucking and, right. Coming into the season, the expectation was that they were going to be a bad football team. They might beat Washington. But they've shocked the world with how poorly they've played. Okay, so here's the highlights of them statistically through four games. They are last in every meaningful statistic. Yards, touchdowns, uh, <laughs> yards per attempt. They're last in passing touchdowns, 29th in passing yards. They're last in points for and last in total yards. To underscore just how egregious the last one is, the Dolphins currently have 900 total yards as a football team. As of Saturday before kickoff off of Week 5, there were 15 quarterbacks who have thrown more yards than that. Josh Allen is in that group. Josh Allen has 903. So for as much as I've maligned Josh Allen, he still has more passing yards on the year than the Dolphins' whole team has. So, Chris, their plan of being terrible is working, and they're still in a dogfight for that last spot. I went back through the NFL standings as of week four, all the way back to 1999. And in 20 years of NFL football, there hasn't been a season with this many winless teams as of week four. There's six coming into this week. Now, two of them found wins, right? The Cardinals finally got on the scoreboard. They finally beat somebody. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And the Broncos somehow inexplicably beat the Chargers. With that said, there's some unintended consequences here. Oh, and you've got the Jets, who are in this mix of still winless teams. Divisions, Nate, divisions with more than one of those teams, these winless, just rudderless squads, are likely to see an inflated win total, Correct. You know what I mean? You're just yeah. beating up on some of the dregs of the NFL. Right. The AFC East is the only team that has two. that are currently <laughs> still winless. So now they're going to come off the bye week and they're going to go try to win a game. But let's face it, nobody's, nobody's optimistic. And the Bills are heading into their bye. And as, they, <laughs> as Miami goes out there, they're not even, in my opinion, they're not even thinking about, hey, can we win this football game? They're looking around going, what do we have to do? Bribery, blackmail, 
maybe just good old-fashioned begging to try to encourage some of these other winless teams in the NFL to get their shit together and come away with a victory. I mean, what do you do if you're the Dolphins? Nothing. Nothing. You give up. Do you stay the course and just hope for more losses? You have to at this point. you got to get a quarterback. Are you steering into this at this point? The Miami Dolphins are... Here's the thing. You know, they're going to get an opportunity. They've got three first-round picks. They've got two next year. They've got a bunch of second-round picks. They're going to do what the Browns did, except the problem is is Miami, Florida. What if someone beats them to the bottom? Miami, Florida (laughs) isn't, like, the place that it used to be. And, you know, people are talking about, like I saw Omar Kelly say, you know, Von Miller's 30 years old, and, like, he would be a good trade candidate. And why the fuck would Von Miller go to Miami at 30? and go be a part of a rebuild, a bunch of young guys, and never get back to the playoffs in his career. It just doesn't make any sense. And it's just Miami has this inflated image that because they don't have uh, state to sales tax and they live in a, in, a, in a part of the country that's going underwater, that people want to go there. <laughs> and, like, they, it's just it's, it's, it's a lot like uh, Miami is sort of on pace to be a future Buffalo where they get super, super, super emotional when people make fun of Miami when, you know, again, like, you're knee deep in water. So like Miami's not this great place. It's got tons of STDs. It's got bad drugs. And you know There's a lot of gang wars. There's a lot of gang wars happening. Shitty Coke. Terrible. <laughs> Shitty Coke. <laughs> I mean, I I have no idea what you're talking about. I <laughs> So with that, that brings us to New England. New England, the Patriots beat up on the Redskins, our future opponent, thirty three to seven. They got Jay Gruden fired. <laughs> This is the final nail in the coffin, and I think Jay Gruden was ready for it. That dude, he was ready to light up a fat stove and just walk out of that building. Here's the thing. The report comes out that Jay Gruden was summoned to the building to be fired at 5 a.m. The owner calls him and says, we need you to report at 5 a.m. Swaggy. Chris, if I know that I'm getting fired, fuck you. Fuck that guy. I'm going to show up when I feel like it wearing a pair of swimming trunks and a wife beater. You can all go fuck yourselves. I'm going to show up with a Bloody Mary for the road. I'm going to have a drink in my hand. And you're going to tell me I'm fired, and I'm going to laugh my way out of there knowing that I have $5 million guaranteed. You paid me already. I don't give a shit. The check's cashed. I'll see you in hell. I don't... This game is tough for me because I despise the Patriots and never want to see them win. But with that said, Washington owner Dan Snyder might be one of the most despicable owners in all of sports... And also possesses what I would put, if I, was, if I was to create a hierarchy of punchable faces, Dan Snyder is in the top 10. That guy looks like every, like every 80, shitty 80s movie where the bad guy is some rich corporate guy. Dan Snyder is that guy. He's the stock photo. What was that, that movie with, it was like one of, uh, uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore of punchable faces. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, What's what's the guy from? I don't know why I can't think of his name, but uh, he was uh, Marky Mark in the Funky Bunch. What's his name? Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. You know what was that first movie that he was in where he was a porn star? Oh, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. John uh, or John, what is his name? Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder. He looks. I I know John Snyder, so I said John Snyder. Uh, Dan Snyder looks like he could be a featured uh, actor in Boogie Nights. <laughs> in the end, my takeaways from that game are this. Good for the Redskins getting embarrassed in front of a half-empty stadium. Brady got sacked four times and threw another really bad red zone interception. Good for you, Tom. 
and their new kicker missed his first field goal attempt. Chris, you hate to see it. Fuck the Patriots. <sighs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you hear that? That's the sound of a nice, easy breath. We're all just going to relax because it's the 2019 bye week. Usually it comes a little bit later in the season, but it's here now. And Chris, it might be one of my favorite weeks of the season. And so with that, I want to take a look back through five weeks, and I want to take a look at what lies ahead. Now, for me, what lies ahead is a Sunday. Laying on the couch with a Sunday ticket with no animosity, no crazy anti-Josh Allen thoughts floating around in, in my skull. I'm not even going to drink beer. I'm going to drink scotch. I think I'm going to drink scotch, mm. maybe a little bourbon. Glenn Levitt? Ah, no, actually, Talisker Storm. Mm. I've been on a kick with this stuff. I'm a big Glenn Levitt fan. Like, if I'm going to do one, it's going to be Glenn Levitt, a nice 12 beer. Well, it's because you make single malt. You make enough money to hurt most people's feelings. That, that's probably why you're drinking that. But with that said, we're here. And so no one has been killed, even though the fans, you know, with their fireworks and their table jumping, are certainly trying. The team is an improbable 4-1, and, and everybody in the fan base is a buzz. What I like to do is I like to stop every bye week and take a look back to see... And knock you all down a couple <laughs> notches, you fucking pussies. Let's go. Let's, now, we, now we need the music where he kicks, he kicks down a wall and he comes in and he's like, I'm ruining it for everyone. Like, like, the cool, like, like a terrible Kool-Aid man? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like a Kool-Aid man, but instead, of, but instead of Kool-Aid, it's split pea soup. Wow. And yeah. everyone's it's like, so, oh, it's no, something, it's something everyone universally hates. All the kids are like, oh, this is terrible. Why is he here? I like to take this, we take a deep breath, I'm going to rest my liver this weekend, I'm going to no, compose myself, and we're going to see prep for next weekend. what we've learned about this team. And while it's a little bit earlier than usual to do this, I think it's a worthwhile exercise. First of all, important metrics and rankings through five weeks. Total offense, 372.4 yards per game, which is 13th in the NFL. Total defense... 275, which makes us second in the NFL. Scoring offense, 90 points, 25th in the NFL. Scoring defense, 14 points per game, third in all of the NFL. Rush yards per attempt, 11th at 4.8. Yards after the catch, 434, good for 23rd in all of football. And then I've got some odd statistics. Dropped passes, we are fifth. <laughs> we have five. Oh, no, five just last week. We're tied for ninth in the NFL in drop passes. Receiving touchdowns, we are 25th in the NFL. 100 yards, yard receiving games, we have one, which is tied for 21st in the NFL. 100 yards receiving games against, just one, tied with seven different teams for number two. Now, Chris, when we get to this point in the year, I like to look back at the, just the players and just try to think of who sticks out in your mind. Every year, there's guys who play a surprising early role for your team. And yes, yeah, some of them will fade after the bye. Some new guys will hopefully step up. I know Singletary's been one of those guys. Nate, who, to your point earlier, you're like, Singletary's not here. Singletary would make a difference in this football team. This is a guy that we're going to get to know more after the bye week, and he's going to make a significant impact, or maybe not. We don't know. But he's going to change the way we play football. But for what's happened, 
there's guys who come along that you're pleasantly surprised by, and there's those that are essentially the, the, the football equivalent of farting in church or someone coming into your house and pissing in your kitchen sink. And so with that, I want to take an opportunity to talk about a few of each. And I want to start this conversation with the zeros of the first quarter of the season. I've peed in a lot of sinks. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. <laughs> I feel like this list has to be started with wide receiver Zay Jones. Is that, is that fair? Nate, am I being heavy-handed by saying Zay Jones might be the biggest F minus in my book? He's not here anymore. You can say whatever you want about him and his dad. Listen, Zay, I spent last week, half. The, I spent a quarter of the show railing on Zay quarter Jones. Quarter century. <laughs> yeah. Well, he came in, he was our leading wide receiver last year, and came into the season with aspirations that he, he was going to build off this season. I didn't have those. And now he's a Raider because he didn't, he failed. You failed. We pointed out that he's, he was if he wasn't last, he was near the bottom of the team in most critical categories. And if he ain't first, you're last. So. Receptions per game. Every running back and tight end had more receptions per game than Zay Jones. His catch percentage is one of the lowest on the team. His yardage was one of the lowest on the team. The guy who made Zay Jones replaceable, Duke Williams, had nearly half of Zay's yardage through five weeks in his first ever NFL start on just four targets. Yeah. Ultimately... You never want to wish badly for a guy unless they're Tom Brady. But it's like I said last week, those unproductive targets needed to go somewhere, and now they will. And he fell on his face coming out of the gate. There's another guy I have on this list, but I'm interested with for you, Mr. Geary. Mm. If you had to think of somebody who's let you down through the early portion of the season, who, who would you peg? It's a very personal question, but... Um... <laughs> It's not like I asked what size underwear you wear. 16, 18? I'm not sure. Liar! I see you with your dad bod supreme over here. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I am a firm, large 16, 18. There's, that's what I've been since, uh, since like... Since what, six months ago? 18, 19. Yeah. Oh, okay. Size oh, okay. Briefs. I'm a brief guy. I don't. I don't. I don't the, the the waist size has not changed. What laps over the waist is completely different. <laughs> the waist size has remained the same, Drew. Um, how is it? I don't know how to not go with Zay Jones. Um, I would say Cody Ford. Wow, he was mine Nailed too. It. God damn it! Up top. Guys, I don't know whose fault. And here, Nate. Now you and I can have this conversation. Whose fault is it, though? Because I feel bad not about mine. putting him on this list. No, it's not yours. And it's not mine. After watching him being rotated in and out of the offensive tackle spot. Now, I railed on this coming into the season, and I regret it. I'll eat my humble pie. I was fucking wrong. He is not cut out to be a right tackle, tackle at this point in his career. Maybe someday. Alex. With the right coaching and the right... He's a guard. He's a guard. And some guards just cannot play tackle. And some guards are really, really good at, at guard. And this is Cody Ford. He's going to be, I think he'll be a very good NFL right guard. Now, here's what kills me, though. When I have to call him, when I put him on this list of people who haven't been good enough, the team keeps, the team is the one that keeps rotating him out there with Inseki. I think there's a reason when, behind that. Though. I, then, think, I think it's injury related to Inseki. But then when Inseki went down, they started him out there. 
over Ryan Bates, who has experience playing tackle. Yeah, but I think I think Ford's. I'd rather have Ford out there than Bates. Okay. Well, after watching what Eli Harold did to him on that sack of Josh Allen, where he literally almost didn't touch him. Yeah. I think there there was half of a patty cake, and then Eli Harold was in Josh Allen's lap. Well, can I say something that I think that Ladrian Waddell. Re- going down with injury really hurt this team's flexibility at, at tackle. There's just no two ways Which about it. Which blows my mind because I didn't think he'd make this roster. He was a replacement, but he's a replacement level swing tackle. And although that may not be good enough to start games, um, it may it may in the interim be able to start games if That's Cody true. Ford can't. You know that is true. And and now they don't have that luxury. And now you have don't have Waddell who could play both right and left tackle. Now you have with no Connor McDermott. You had like the depth. Of, of any offensive line every year will be tested. And that is why I really liked what the Bills did, and they went out and went went big numbers on guys that maybe flamed out other places or were depth players that weren't getting the opportunity in the right system with the right coaching. They went after – John Feliciano is a really good example of this, right? He just wasn't very good in Oakland. He was, he's was he been very good at guard. He's been so-so when he's had to play center. But he's been very good at guard. Um, and, you know, you look at Quentin Spain – Struggled in pass blocking in Tennessee and has been a breath of fresh air here in Buffalo. Has has been a really, really good starting caliber left guard. So when you look across the offensive line, like it they're fine interior mm-hmm. on at tackle. It's not ideal that Ryan Bates is your next guy up. I, he's fine. Um he's better than McDermott was. That's why he was in in front of McDermott. Um but you know. I mean, ultimately, I, they miss Lager and Waddell. It's I just, feel bad just for is. Cody Ford because he's being put in a no-win situation. Yeah, where I you're agree. not able to play at this level. It's obvious now, but the problem is you they do get ousted. But they can't kick him inside. Because, they can't because here's the thing: Spencer Long's. Coming they don't in, have the versatility man, inside out. It's Spencer, outside in. Spencer Long coming in to back up Mitch Morse when he went down with injury. Feliciano at guard. He's not better than either one of those players. So he's not moving them from their no. interior spot. And Feliciano, well, I mean, you could maybe make an argument. Maybe you take Cody Ford over Spencer Spencer Long. But the problem is, the last thing you want to do is get Cody Ford hurt playing guard when you need him to play tackle. Yes. So ultimately, now we're stuck in this position, and I feel bad putting him on this list. But he's been, he's been the guy who started a lot of really negative plays for the Bills. And so if I have to hang a loser hand on anybody, he's going to be one of them. Luckily, there's enough people on the other side of the rock, on the hero side of things, that I think more than balance that out. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. You know who pisses excellence? Our secondary. Our coverage units this season have been among some of the best in the NFL. It's incredible to me that they've that this team is where it is. And most of it is because of the job that those the secondary unit has done. I just got done gushing about Micah Hyde, but let's face it, Trey White? Nate, Trey White. You see people on Twitter. You like to rail about that. Trey White, he doesn't get enough credit for the job that no. he does because people have become accustomed to it. To him just shutting people down. Yes. Levi Wallace has been a surprise because... You we're used to seeing, okay, such and such a player gets limited run, performs well. Next year, the team puts him in a starting position and he fails. That didn't happen. He's continued to play at a high level. And then obviously our safety group, which is now deeper 
and more talented than it was last year. And last year, I would argue they were one of the best in football. It's been, uh, I, I genuinely believe that they are really to kind of thank for the way things have gone so far throughout the course of the season. Would you disagree with me if I said that? If you look at one unit that has gotten the Bills where it is to now, that deserves more of the praise. The front seven has played their balls off. But that secondary is killer. playing Levi ridiculous Levi Wallace is a really football. damn good player. He's just a really solid player. Roll time! You know, really, really just solid player. I, you know, this too. I think Micah Hyde is finally getting the recognition that he deserves. Micah Hyde is a top two or three safety. And the great thing about both Poyer and Hyde is in a given play, you have no idea which one's going to be the free safety, which one's going to be the strong safety. They, they, they disguise so well. They play the same position, and they play two positions at the same time, and they do it better than anybody in football. Who else on this team are you just walking away into this bye week going, God, that guy's fucking good? John Brown. I've been, I've been very happy with John Brown and what. How are you? You not? know, him, him, and, him and Beasley are both on pace for 84 catches. It's the thing that I think I take away from John Brown and Beasley is that the two of them, and you could call them together, you could include them in this group. We talked about it last week on the show. The majority of first down passes, and this week the narrative stayed the same. When Josh Allen needs a first down pass, it's Cole Beasley or it's John Brown. Those are his go-tos, which speaks to the fact that if you gave him, and I, I hate to say this because it flies in the face of some of my own arguments, if you gave him more talent, he could probably make you more plays. But right now, he's taking what the defense is giving him and using Cole Beasley and John Brown's skill sets to manufacture the offense, and that's how it's being produced. Now, if that's an onus of the offense, so be it. It's working, and I like where things are headed with the two of them. There's another guy, though, Tremaine Edmonds. How do you? How does everyone in Bill's Mafia not have a boner for this guy? Or have his jersey by now. Listen, yeah. I'll tell you how I don't have his jersey. I wear a Sam Cowart jersey. Do you want to know why? I think it's creepy if adults wear jerseys of people who are younger than them. That's, that's a crazy mindset to have. If I was going to have a jersey right now, though, I, definitely, I would definitely do a Sam Rogers jersey. Sam Rogers. Okay. Linebacker. I know. I can I can get behind this idea. I I went to kindergarten with his son and me and me and Aaron, his son Aaron, were very good friends in okay. kindergarten. So All right. Well here's my exactly my point. It's cool to have a jersey of a guy who was very good at what he did. I rock Sam Cowart because I think he was one of the most intimidating Bills linebackers. Was it the neck roll? I just think it was the way he hit people. Hmm. Hit people in space and he was vicious, but he was also kind of an under the radar guy that didn't get the pomp and circumstance that a lot of the star players you know, he he's not as celebrated as a Bryce Pop or as Daryl Taylor. Even though Daryl Taylor is my favorite Bill ever, I still don't have his jersey. I have the Sam Coward jersey. Uh-huh. Kyle Trimble sold it to me. He found it online for $10. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll take that. Because Sam Coward is exactly the type of player I like. Get your hands dirty. Get in there. Stick your nose. Stick your face into the fan and just go hit people. And do it well. If it wasn't for a shitty hit... His career would have been... But Tremaine Edmonds. Ridiculous in coverage last year, but he was suspect against the run coming into this season. This year, he's answered every single question that existed coming into the season about his abilities and his ability to grow as a linebacker. The guy is posting ridiculous 
ridiculous numbers for an inside linebacker in terms of his coverage grades. In terms yeah, of they're his, insane. In terms of uh, percentage against. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Advanced defense. Tremaine Edmonds is allowing a quarterback rating of 60 when thrown against. To put that in per- into perspective, that's better than Matt Milano. It's almost as good as Trey White. It's better than Levi Wallace. In fact, it's better than almost every single member of our secondary except for Micah Hyde. Tremaine Edmonds is out there killing it in coverage. And then you see games like the New England game where he is the reason that Sony Michelle doesn't get off the ground. That's that that to me, this kid is growing and he can't buy beer. He, yeah, he is legal. growing. He cannot legally buy a beer. And he is growing. Legally cannot have fun. So yeah. imagine how good he's gonna be going. I mean, this is exciting. That's exciting stuff to me. So as we go forward, what's a moment looking back, hmm. Nate, over the last five weeks of football that stands out to you as your favorite moment of the year? Categorically, a favorite moment. Something that sticks out to you as a time when you said, fuck yeah, I'm glad I'm a Bills fan. What would it be? I'd probably say the John Brown touchdown week one against the Jets to win that game. <laughs> Dude, we were at Batavia Downs with Thurman Thomas. We're just hanging out. We, we, did, we had done the interviews with him at halftime. I had to remove myself away from his company. His area, I, yeah. I was too... Too, too jazzed hot. up. Too hot. And my father-in-law is standing there next to me going, Drew, you need to calm down. It's not the fourth quarter. The Bills don't believe in – they don't believe in offense until mm-hmm. the fourth quarter. This mm-hmm. game's going to be fine. And when he hit that pass to John, to John Brown, it was in the perfect spot. He made the perfect move. It was the perfect play. I came unglued. Mm. I came unglued in, the, in an unsuspecting bar full of people. You can only imagine what that looked and sounded like. <laughs> In a good way or bad way? A little bit of both. I, I, I believe, according to Lacell, when I exploded, Thurman kind of turned around in his car. Or no, not not Lacell. Somebody was telling me that Thurman turned around in his chair kind of and was like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck is going on over there? All right, it's just some guy losing his mind because the Bills just won this football game. I knew it in my bones. It was a great moment. For me, I've got two. The sound. It came out of the stadium after the Bill after the Bengals game-winning interception, when the Bills picked off that pass to shut the game out directly in front of me. Yeah, it was, uh, the crowd reaction of that game was uh, we had just won the Super Bowl. Oh, you! T- it's it the insane. loudest. We 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 talked about it with Reed. Reed was saying it's the loudest he's heard the stadium on that for, on that drive where the Bengals are coming down the field to go try to score the game-winning touchdown, and the stadium's rocking. And then after that pick, the sound. Yeah. Our friend from Portugal, Hugo, he's trying to. The, the guy is five foot six, maybe 155 pounds. Okay. Buck 50. He's trying to group hug me, Mario from Hashtag Sports, who's six foot five and like 390 pounds. He's like George the Animal it's Steel. Disgusting. He's like George it's, the Animal it's Steel. Disgusting. Mario's is gross. <laughs> so, Mario, me, Chris, and my friend Potter, he's trying to group hug all of us, even though he's. He has the wingspan of, I don't know, uh, a high schooler. Yeah. Maybe a middle Chris. schooler. Of Chris. No, no. Far smaller than that, which is hilarious because Chris is a short-armed son of a bitch. Yeah, he's a little guy. And then there's this. And there's I can't even do it justice. I'm going to, once again, I'm going to let Kyle Brandt do the, do the honors. 
the bad man from Buffalo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, meet Dawson Knox with the oh. stiff arm and the... That is Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Chris, that play set the place on fire. I know, and you had to drink your Seagram's because of it. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Uh, here's Chris. Raise a glass. Here's to a couple. Here's to hopefully a few more of those over the course of the season. And so now I want to talk about what we've learned about the 2019 Buffalo Bills as a team so far. Conversation starts with the coaching staff. We look at the staff from last year to this year. You know, there, there was a lot of criticism levied at them for some of their in-game mistakes. Some of the. The fact that they've been prone to big games. Chris, when they when they would lose, they would get blown out. There were some blowout losses, despite their wins. You, know, you even think back to 2017 when they made the playoffs. There were still moments where everyone doubted that this staff knew what the fuck they were doing. Saints game. Uh, Saints? Followed by who? Because the, the blowouts the end went... Of it. No, the Saints... No, the Chiefs were the end. The Saints, the Chargers, who Bears. was the Bears? Oh, Bears. Yeah. We left at halftime. Bear, beats. That, was, that was the Peterman game. Bears, uh, Bears beats, beats, and Bills sucking at football. Those Saints, were... Bears, <laughs> Chargers. There was one more in there. No, because then we went to play the Chiefs on the road, and we thought, okay, this is the end. We're going to go into Arrowhead, and like we usually do, we're going to shit the bed, and they're going to massacre us like the last three teams have. But McDermott found a way to right the ship. Mm. And that's where you learn something about not only the staff, but the fortitude that was, of the team. That was 17, right? Yep. And I think a lot of that starts with McDermott. That's where I want to start. His philosophy. I think he has built a mentally tough, team-oriented group. You see it. You lose that game to the Patriots, and you say, okay, this could be the unraveling of the team the way it usually is. And instead, they gear up, and the defense comes out. Instead of saying, okay, we tried our best, and it still wasn't good enough last week, they come out and somehow play better the following week. If there's one thing I can criticize McDermott for so far this year, reliance on defense rather than offense. Chris. Well, he's a defensive head coach. I get it, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to get this team where it could go. That's not it. It's not where football is today. And you can try to tell me it is all you want. I just don't believe it. And I've got statistics to back that up. But... Also on challenges, can we talk about this for a second? Sean McDermott needs. To, do do we need to hire somebody to actually like pre? Might not be a bad idea. Pre-approve his challenges. He's zero for two on the season, and he's one for twelve in his entire career. That's it. He keeps try- he got that one though. He keeps trying to challenge spot fouls. We all spot placement ball. Yeah, the ball's here. The ball's. You're never going to win those, Chris. You pointed it out last season. Or I think Rex Ryan's last season. You don't win those challenges, do you? You never do. No. So There's stop never the it. right camera angle. Overall, though, Sean McDermott, as a head coach, I think he's done a good job building a mentally tough team. This team, I... I they got intestinal fortitude. I'd yeah. call it testicular fortitude. Oh, wow. 
On the defensive side of the ball, Leslie Frazier. Now, here's an idea that's been floated. What happens if Leslie Frazier gets... Not going to happen. ...offered a head coaching job? No. Not going to happen. It may not happen, but he's doing Next. that well. Next. Because a year removed Let's from... Talk about Brian Dable. He, no, well, he might be the one that goes. Here's it a won't, second. It won't be Leslie Frazier. A year removed from being benched, Frazier's called some phenomenal sure. games. I mean, he's kept running backs like Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley from taking over the respective games with solid game plans in place to address it. He's held Tom Brady to 150 yards through the air, which is his only sub-250 yard game of the season. Hemmed in John Ross. After, John Ross of the Bengals, after he posted consecutive 100-plus yard games and a touchdown, he was tearing it up, and then he ran into the Bills' defense, and that was the end. He just went away. We took him away like he wasn't a thing. Leslie Frazier is not a head coaching candidate. No, but he's a very good defensive coordinator. He is, and I think they'll be safe with him for as long as McDermott's here. Late in the game, the Bills have a slim lead, and the other team has the ball and starts marching. You sit there on the. You, you, we used what to do sit there. You know there. about slim. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what I like. A little bit of shade being thrown. We know what it's like as Bills fans to watch teams march down the field on us and score the inevitable game winning points. That, that happens. And yet at the same time, that hasn't happened in 2019. The Bills are the fifth ranked scoring defense in the fourth quarter. Fifth in the entire NFL for points. That's when teams are desperate. Mm-hmm. Chris, when you're leading a game, teams get desperate. They start throwing up Hail Marys. They start throwing it all every – they throw the kitchen sink at you in terms of gimmick plays. Whatever they have left in the, in, in the book to try to manufacture offense, the Bills are fifth in scoring defense in the entire NFL. So despite the fact that our offense has struggled, that's impressive, and it speaks to why we're 4-1. And then Dable, to your point. Now, you think Dable may be the coach who mm-hmm. inevitably moves on to get signed somewhere else. It's an offensive league. Okay. His play, I think his play selection has improved from week one to week five. He, he found a better run mix. I think he got a better feel for his personnel. And according to Sal Mariano, which is an interesting statistic to me, 166 unique offensive personnel groupings, which is first in the NFL. The next closest team is the Chargers with 129. He's willing to try anything Mm -hmm. if he thinks it can work. And he's clearly mapped these things out. Now, they're not putting up points, Mm -hmm. but it's working. He's making Josh Allen look like a competent NFL quarterback. He makes Josh Allen good. He'll have a head coaching job. Good luck with that. Good luck with it. Wait, what did I say? What? Chris, I'm, I'm not amused anymore. If there was any, if there was any, you know, a lot of time, I thought, I thought you with the mohawk was hard to be you, but now I realize that the real martyr in your life, this guy over here, exactly, this is the guy that's that. This is this is why all of your dreams have not been met. Listen, the only reason I'm not willing to set points need to start coming in more frequently. I don't mm-hmm. give a shit about anything else. The Bills are third in the NFL Kick in more red field zone. goals for Christ's sake. That's third what I in said. the NFL in red zone scoring percentage. And yet we're the 25th ranked scoring offense. They just need to kick more field goals. I've been saying this for like two weeks. They don't even get, the they don't get into an area. Towards the end zone. Close enough to kick maybe it. score a touchdown. Kick, kick a field goal. Oh, they, I'll, they haven't done any of that. Like, I don't scout people like this as dances with wolves. <laughs> I swear to God. Listen, listen, you're no Kevin Costner. <laughs> no. You are no, no Kevin Costner. Ugh. 
He needs to find answers, but ultimately I think he's done an okay job. And then you look at the roster. The roster as a whole, I mean, I think we've learned some things. Tremaine Edmonds is becoming our defensive, our defense is rock. Rock. Our coverage groups are among the best in the AFC. I mean, Levi Wallace has been targeted twice as often as any other DB on the roster. He only allows 52% completion percentage and 4.8 per target. Our Our pass defense has only given up three passing touchdowns. There are things here, elite statistics. Tremaine Edmonds, 3.0 yards per target, which is best on, almost best on the roster. His missed tackle percentage is 5.4. The defense is an elite unit, full of elite athletes, playing in the primes of their careers. I've also learned that this reworked offensive line still isn't, it's still a work in progress. We invested heavily in this offensive line. through, And through five weeks of football, I feel like, and Cody, blame injury, blame whatever you want. The depth is there, but their overall execution, Josh Allen was still the second most pressured quarterback coming into last week. So what, what are we doing here? Hmm. What's happening here up front? You spent all this money, you, you swapped in bodies, you traded out guys that you thought were subpar, and you're still getting a similar a similar kind of production in terms of pass protection. What do you do with that? Um, I, don't, I don't want to say that they're getting similar production. I really like what they're doing up front in, in, in a lot of things. Um, mo- most importantly... You know, I think what they're really good as good at in play action is pulling alignment and making it look like it's a run, and it really sells the play action better than just flashing the football. They're bringing alignment over, so it really like a linebacker's trained. You follow the pulling guard to the play. Okay. And but I'm just saying, just from a, a, a like a a schematic standpoint, I actually do like what the offensive line brings. I like Quentin Spain. I I actually do like Deion Dawkins. Um, I like Ty and Secchi. I wish he could play more. Uh, I really like Mitch Morse a lot and I like John Felicio and I like all four guys. Um, have they been perfect at all times? No. Um, can they be better? Yes. Um, have they been notably better than last season? They have been notably better than last season. Well, but that notably better than last season is like, is, it's like your Josh Allen argument. Okay. That's like your Josh Allen argument. Yeah. He's notably better than last season, but what's that? What's that look it's like? What does pro- that do hashtag for me? progress. <laughs> hashtag progress. Trust the process. I'm having a hard time trusting the process. I, I could see that. Now, when you now that we're here and we're able to just take a weekend and watch football, AFC outlook and what we need from week seven to week seventeen, forecasting what's to come. As of this podcast, the Bills are tied for second place in the AFC with Kansas City. Who fucking thought that would be the case? Raise your hand in this room. Look at who we've played. The way the conference is shaking out, it bodes well for Buffalo. Of teams with two or fewer wins, the Bills are going to play six games against them before the season's over. And over the next six weeks of football, the Bills are going to play teams with a combined record of 6-22. and 22. We have the easiest strength of schedule of any team from this point to the end of the season. We come out of the bye with a three-week homestand against teams with a combined record of five and eleven. I mean, it's it. 
there is a real opportunity for the Bills to stake an early lead in the conference race and solidify the inside track to a wild card appearance. How many wins? How many wins? Well, and and so this True, is how it. many wins right now? How many wins? Tell me right now. What do you think they end up with wins? Well, I don't know. Want to make a Seagram's bet? Do you? Oh, do you want to? Here we go. You're do gonna... you want a double or nothing Seagram's bet that not only the Bills finish with ten wins, but they also finish in the top seventeen in total offense? Wow! And is this if, you trying to waffle out of if, the uh, Baker Mayfield's going to be MVP? If that happens, I can get out of my Baker Mayfield bet. Now you you guys already have a Seagram's bet that it's twenty fifth. So I'd like for total to, offense, and we're already at twenty. I don't know what our total this, offense is. So this would actually be helping you and me at the same time because they're gonna they're gonna be better than twenty fifth. I'll see you. I'm saying top seventeen. Sure, I'll give you double or nothing. Okay. If they don't, and Baker Mayfield doesn't, you owe me. What is that? 12 Seagrams. 12 Seagrams. 12 Seagrams. But if they finish 17 or better in total offense. Now, what is the what is the thing around this? Well, are we talking yardage? 17 in yardage? I want to talk about scoring. Scoring. Because points is what matters. I don't give a fuck about yardage. Mm. Ooh, run the ball 40 times a game in between the your own 10-yard line and the opponent's, uh, opponent's 40. And then punt. Ooh, look at me. I'm not scared. Go score me some fucking points. Here's the things that are going to have to happen if the Bills want the inside track. Well, Nate looks this up. I'm going to walk our listeners through it. First of all, the Bills must have at least eight wins by November 24th. Okay? When you look at the way that our schedule lays out, I've got it pulled up in front of me. We got Washington, Miami twice. We come off the bye with the Dolphins, the Eagles, the Redskins, the Browns, the Dolphins, and the Broncos. In those games, you're talking about teams that have not proven that they are a threat in the NFL, much less in this conference. You need to go out there and win those games. If you're not at eight wins after the Broncos game, your schedule gets dicey because you have to go on the road on Thanksgiving on November 28th to the Cowboys. This is a team that's probably, just based on the way they're being coached and the way they're playing right now, they're better than they're they're better than the media is giving them credit for right now. That's gonna be a fist fight if the Bills are even gonna have a shot at winning that game. Then you have the Ravens at home, which the Ravens are always a tough matchup with the Bills. Always, they always seem to play us tougher than they do other opponents. Yeah, then, but I'm not I'm not too keen on uh, Lamar Jackson uh, being able to uh, take in Greg Roman's. 107 plays he has outlined. I understand that he's coming back to earth, but again, we always struggle with the Ravens. We got the Bills at 11. We've never blown the Ravens out. Never. It's never happened. I got the Bills at 11. 11 Holy shit! Wow! How many Mooseheads have you had? Hey, they have one loss. They'd they'd get four more losses. That's they lose to New England. They lose to Dallas. Listen, Dallas. Listen, you're not Howard Simon. You don't get to pick the Bills. What are we like talking Dallas. about here? I don't like Dallas. I'm I'll, giving I'll, 11. I'll save 11 that. Wins. I'll save that for. Put that on the board. 11 fucking wins. Put it on the secret. Wow. Board. All right. Here wins. we go, Chris. Right. We're doing this. But then after that point, you're talking about the Cowboys, the, the Ravens, the Steelers, which without Ben Roethlisberger, the game looks more winnable. 
Well, I will. This, I will tell you. But at the same time, I've gone into games against the Steelers and thought it was fucking winnable. Brian St. Pierre. And then I had to go to my Willie shitty part-time collegiate job at Mighty Taco and stand in the drive-through. That, that proves how well, old you are. Well, Steelers fans I was drove through the drive-through and ordered Mighty Taco to go, and I had my Bills hat on, and they just ragged me every time I was fucking handing tacos. Tommy Maddox. Tommy I've, Maddox and Brian St. Pierre double teamed your your favorite small team. piece of trivia here. We have not won a regular season game in Pittsburgh since 1975. Thank it's not you. that long. It's not that long. They, and then we go on the road to the Patriots. So there is a slide there where you may not win a game. You may go on a sort of like in 2017. You may hit the skids for a hot minute. If you do not have eight wins. Going into that game against the Cowboys, I don't know how you get to the playoffs. How many games are before the Cowboys? One, two, three, four, five, six. And I'm saying you have to go at least five and one during that stretch. If you do not, you are in a lot of trouble. I'll give them two, in fact. So I'll you're give saying nine and two going go into that game? Go four and two. Go four and two. Have eight wins going into that game. I'm eight confident. Eight and three, I think you can make the playoffs from there with the, with the schedule you have. Outside of that, I don't know how it happens. The next thing I'm looking for in the next 17 weeks is that Josh Allen, I mean, let's just call this the offense. There has to be more scoring. I want to underscore this for you guys who are listening to this at home saying he's a, he's a broken record. He keeps repeating himself. I did the research. Last season, eight teams in the top half of the NFL for defense made the playoffs. They did. 12 teams make it. So what is that, Chris? Uh, eight out of 12. That's most of the playoff field. You have to have a good defense to make the playoffs. And if you do, you can probably make the jump. But when you look at the people who are participating in the divisional round, seven of the eight teams finished in the top 14 of the NFL for offense. Because ultimately when it matters, you have to score fucking points. You can't ignore the fact that inevitably at some point you can't win every game 14-7. to Look at the 2017 Jaguars. We played them in a wild card game to a score of 10 to 3. It's a good game. Okay? It's exciting. But then the following week, in order to beat the Steelers, 55. they had to score more than 50. Why? Because that's what it took, but you have to be capable of Play it in order to get there. The game. You have to be capable of it in order to get there. And so for me, if you want to be, in, you want to take that next step as a franchise. Okay, we've gotten a taste of the playoffs now in the McDermott era. Do you not want something bigger than that? Or is everybody just okay with the status quo? Because I'm not. I'd like to get back to the playoffs first. And then I could talk oh, about winning Jesus. games. Give me back to the playoffs so we could start talking about winning games. Oh. Listen, if you get to the playoffs in the AFC, anybody's game. You're going to be playing the third or fourth best team in the AFC in the wild card round. And you know who the third or fourth best team in the AFC is going to be? Houston or who? Can we call this Houston or Baltimore? This sounds like okay. a good spot. I want three bold predictions from both of you. Let's go around the table. Three bold predictions for the rest of the 2019 season. Both for the Buffalo Bills and the AFC. Do I go first? Yep. All you three? go first, sir. All three? Or Shoot. one at a time? Shoot from the hip. Yeah, take all three. Let me think of mine. You take all three. Biggest surprises. Uh, Bills win 11 games. I'm just talking about bold one. predictions. Bold predictions. Bills that win is bold. Games. Bills win 11 Bills games. Bills win 11 games is ballsy. Right? Um, Frank Gore gets 1,000 yards. 
Okay. All right. Is that rushing? Rushing. Okay. We do play some shitty defenses, so that's possible. And the Bills beat the Patriots in New England. Oh, my God. God. Wow. Wow. Drew's got to take it. Yeah, Drew's, Drew's I'm getting, in Narnia. I don't know what the fuck just happened. Yeah, Drew's got to take a walk around the apartment. Um, <laughs> uh, wow! Bold predictions for the remainder of you 20. said bold. I yeah, brought them. I don't bold. know what the what I don't know what you guys want. Uh, I would say no. That's that's top notch, sir. Whew. I would say uh, I need a cigarette after that. Jesus. Uh, bold prediction uh, one would be. Uh, I think at one of the home games, you're going to throw one of my dips into the woods. <laughs> uh, I also think uh, Potter will actually set his skin on fire. At a, <laughs> instead at a, of just his pants? Instead of just his pants. On one of the heaters during this winter. <laughs> and then I, I would probably say the Ravens game, Potter and I have to take an Uber back to your place. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple, folks. Here's my three. First of all, Josh Allen will not have a 300-yard passing game this season. Want to make a Seagram's bet on that one? Sure. I, you, hey. you, you want to drink a 12-pack and then some be my guest. Cheers. We're going to solidify it here on I the podcast. I already tried that with the Bengals game. I thought I was sitting pretty. Oh, he's got 180 at half. He'll, he'll do it. And he'll do he'll that do for the rest of his career. No, he'll, he'll get to 300. <laughs> all right, that's cynical. He'll get to 300 at least three times this year. Josh Allen will not have a 300-yard passing game. I just don't see it. I think that this their offense is going to continue being what they are. We're going to find our way through the rest of this season, hopefully not having to rely on the – I hope I'm wrong. I, hope, I think he's going to have a 300 yards after the bye week against Miami. Okay. Okay. Come back and talk to me. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, right. Jesus Christ. I will say, though, at Oliver, multiple sacks in the next three games. Right now he's sackless, and that's not to defame the man. I'm sure he hangs low. Sure. But I think that he's been so close – and it's just not clicking for him because he's been playing some quarterbacks who at least either know to get the ball out, veteran quarterbacks, teams with functional offenses, even like Tennessee, who's terrible. Now we're going to play some of the NFL's worst offenses, and it's going to be fun to watch what our defensive line can do to their offensive lines, and I think that Ed Oliver's going to get that elusive sack, and I think he's going to get more than one. I think once he once you get that first taste and he figures out what it takes to get there, he's going to get on a roll, especially against teams like what we're about to play. And then, and I think this might be my hot take for the night if I have a, Here we go. another one. The Bills are going to remain within striking distance of the division title heading into December. Here's why. I know it sounds like lunacy. These are pretty soft takes, to be yes. honest. What, do you think it's soft? The Bills will I have think a that beating heart. Sean McDermott's heart will remain beating for the next 30 years. Bold take by... Wow. Yeah. It's a really bold take. Okay. So you agree with me then. Hang on. (laughs) So you see this unfolding the way I do. I mean, you're calling 11 wins, which is fucking lunacy. I said that, by the way, I wanted to point out that I said 11 wins in June. Okay. Okay. Receipts. Chris, I hope you're keeping these. You're the accountant here. Yeah. Got it. Team... There's two things I look at. Team health and the schedule. Team health, the Bills have taken their shares of knocks heading into the bye week, but most of them aren't being viewed as severe. You look at the Patriots, they're getting their asses handed to them in the injury department, again, for a second straight year. Their offense, specifically, is getting ostensibly thinner as every single week goes by. 
Then you add in the fact that they're tight end group. They only have two functional tight ends, and both of them are, have been like limited in practice every single week for the last month. They're a non-factor. The talent pool around Tom Brady is getting thin. He's, they're still manufacturing offense, but they have a hell of a schedule, whereas the Bills have the easiest schedule. Remember that stretch that I was saying that we had to capitalize on, Chris? Yep. yep. The Pats have a few easy games. They have they have mixed in there. This Thursday, they're going to go play the New York Giants without Saquon Barkley. Or Sterling Shepard or Evan Ingram <laughs> or... And then they get to play the New York Jets again. Beyond that, though, things get murky. You're talking about a beat-up offensive line. And an offense that... They, they've illustrated that they're getting worse. You think about the job that they did against the Bills, keeping Tom Brady clean... And then they immediately follow that up with a four-sack performance. What are you going to do against better rushing defenses? What are you going to do? Well, they don't have a whole lot of time to figure it out. From weeks 8 through 14, here's their schedule. Week 8, home against the Browns. Now, based on what we saw... That running defense stanks. Based on what we saw last night, that game could, could go very much in their favor. Then they go on the road to the Ravens. That's always tough. Their defense stank the week before to the, to the Browns, who scored three points. They have a bye week. And then they come out of it with games at the Eagles, home against the Cowboys, at the Texans, followed up on short rest by a game against the Chiefs. That stretch right there, for as good as their defense has been, and for as much credit as everyone wants to give them, that's five games against teams currently in the top ten of the NFL for scoring. And some of the most proven pass rushers in the NFL. Brandon Graham, Frank Clark, J.J. Watt. (laughs) Meanwhile, I just got done explaining to you guys. Easy slate of games in front of Buffalo. If we take care of business through Thanksgiving, there's no reason to believe we won't be at least within a game of the Patriots down the stretch. Is that fair? No, that's fair. That's fair. Only because the Patriots stink. (sighs) Guys, this week might be my favorite because I'm going to lay on the couch. I'm going to... Have no stress. No stress. Just wondering about what Josh Allen's doing off the field. Is he breathing too much air? Exactly. <laughs> you gar- better not be. I guarantee you on the main TV he's going to have the Jags game on so he can watch Garden Minshew and then just get irritated if he throws for 300. Oh, That's going to be you. That's going to be you on Sunday. Every, every, every rookie quarterback that I watch throw for 300 yards is going to it's just going to boil my balls. But with that said, guys, we're here. It's a week to relax. So let's all just take a deep breath. In fact, I'm going to crack a fresh one. And we are going to wish you guys farewell. Thank you for showing up to the bi-week edition of the Rockwell Report podcast. If you don't like any of my opinions, you don't like my hatred for Josh Allen, why don't you show up at Riverworks on Saturday for Potathon 3. Let's, Let's talk about it. Let's get a couple beers going. You, I'll be in Europe. I won't be there. You, me, a pitcher of beer, we can figure it out. All right? That's where I put it. Make sure you show up this weekend, Riverworks, on Saturday. It's a charity for BB&G Charities. They do a lot of work with the uh, urban community trying to get kids opportunities to go camping and experience leadership op- leadership training and that, that sort of stuff. It's almost like a Boy Scouts without having to wear neckerchiefs and sashes and sew vests, badges on the thing. Vests things. are the worst. <laughs> Are you a Girl Scout? No, I just 
see these dudes in Not that there's anything wrong with that, because we can't say that now. Yeah, well, now they have to actually let girls in Boy Scouts now. You're going to identify as whatever kind of scouts you, you want that? to. Did make you your... know they're, they're integrating the Boys and Girls Scouts? And uh, don't, be the don't scouts tell me of these things. Don't tell me these things. Now I'm two-fisting beers. Folks, this whole thing's going to shit. Thank you for showing up here for the bi-week edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. But we got to get the fuck out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Nate Geary from WGR550. Tell the folks where they can find you. Uh, in Drew's brain, uh, but at Nate Geary WGR as well. Both places you can find me and stream me live. Sports Talk Saturday, folks. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. We got to get the fuck out of here, Chris. All right. That's it, folks. Have a good night. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.